Hello and welcome to Subjects with Sam. I'm your host, Sam, and today we have an awesome episode coming up with Alex Parker, a Forbes featured entrepreneur and is currently operating a wealth management company with a portfolio of over a million dollars at just the age of 21. Check it out and be sure to to subscribe to Subjects with Sam on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Subjects with Sam. Now let's get into the show with Alex Parker. and thanks for coming on the show today. This is Alex Parker, a Forbes featured entrepreneur. What else would you add to your title? You got you've got a lot that going on. Um, I would say yeah, just um I've been in a few different publications and currently I am um the chief executive officer of the Buxton Homesay Group and um that's what I'm currently working on. Yep. All right. So let's hear a little bit about your background, starting out from like high school and forward, and what brought you into entrepreneurship and how you found your entrepreneur entrepreneurship drive that you keep on doing today. Okay. So in high school, I started um, actually not as an entrepreneur. Um, I started working for a well, I started one business that failed. Um, I put all, pretty much all of my uh, savings up until that point at about like 15 cents that business failed. And then I went through and, um, you know, had to get a job because obviously I had no money to start another business. So I got a job at 16 working for the international and What What was your original business that failed? It was uh, basically providing computer services to companies um, where basically they paid in monthly and then um, they paid in monthly and then you basically provide the support over a period of time. So it was something where I was going to be able to hire technicians to go out and service these called a managed service provider, but it was just too big to, um, I mean, way too big of an idea for, um, you know, my age and time and that sort of a thing. So... But then at 16, I got a job at the international airport, and I started doing marketing work for them, um, and was basically building out computer systems, even to enhance their efficiency of uh, trying to get rid of certain expenditures that were um, dragging down their profits. Um, so I, it was a mix of both marketing and the efficiency um, optimization of the business, and so about six months into it, I ended up, you know, looking at, you know, what other people were making in terms of, uh, you know, contracting, being a subcontractor in a company, and they were making far more than I was. I was making dollars an hour at the time, not much above uh, minimum wage, and I basically just told them that I needed a raise, otherwise I was going to leave, 
if I wanted to start to, uh, you know, be contracted out, start, you know, working for myself and doing stuff, but earning a lot more hours. And they basically told me that, no, they were, I wasn't going to get a raise, and I ended up leaving the company, and within two weeks, they called back and said that they wanted to um, hire me as a subcontractor for about four times what they were paying me before. So it worked out to my benefit, but um, then from that, then I continued the marketing business um, for up until I was about 18, which was when I crossed over into investments. Um, I got my investment license at uh, 18, um, my Series 55, and then have been doing investments now for about two and a half years. Nice. And what brought you into the investment world? Because transitioning from marketing to investments is a huge leap. Um, I would say that the biggest thing is that um, marketing just has a lot of nuances. You have to deal with a lot of people in terms of, um, you know, it's a lot of just a different line of work. I mean, in investments, you definitely have to deal with people, but in investments it's also a different income model which is more scalable so you know you take on more assets you make more money and then um, just makes it a lot easier in terms of um rather than trade time for money you know you just take on more assets which doesn't does, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be spending a lot more time oh okay interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense how has your process of like doing business changed over time from like when you first started out to where you are now where you're managing like a large portfolio with a, a lot of clients? Yeah, so basically the the biggest thing is that when I first started out it was a lot easier just because, you know, obviously there wasn't much to manage. But then now since accounts have grown and there's multiple, multiple, multiple accounts, um, the biggest thing is that having I've had to integrate a lot of processes when it comes to um, you know when we're selling off and we're buying you know large blocks of stock from multiple clients and so forth, um, putting systems in place to actually um, you know figure out portfolio allocation and so forth. So kind of letting the computer do a lot of the work of that, um, and also I mean the technology for over time, even course, was provided by our um, brokerage and so forth. Um, so, but then now I mean, we're even custodians uh, who are providing better technology, further. But especially, uh, you know, the process overall, so that you know the business can be scaled without floating. Ah, uh, yeah. That's actually a very good segue because the next question I have for you is how much of your automated and how much of it is uh, you actually having to do put in the work? Because I know at my job, a lot of data entry is required, so that's a lot of man work. But then there's all the automated processes where some people are able to get away with automated automating their entire job and they just show up click a button and then it's done and they're good for the rest of the day mm -hmm. yeah um i would say that a lot of it's automated um i mean that's kind of one of the i mean it sounds terrible but i mean investment versus when you're in management 
and you're kind of, you know, babysitting a portfolio. I mean, you're not doing the work to generate the profits of the portfolio, but it's one of those things where, I mean, there are certain things as far as when it comes down to, you know, billing and so forth. A lot of that's automated, but um, billing is a lot of times too partially, you know, human intervention and so forth. Um, and I would say beyond that, a lot of it is um, the biggest thing is the research. So the research, I mean, there are you know, tools out there or other particular, you know, software where you're basically able to, you know, look up stocks, stocks and so forth, try to catch back. But, um, you know, I mean, for that, you know, a lot of times the, you know, value It being under it's reflecting otherwise I would have bought stock. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. with stocks uh monitors and stuff like that, how has like the development of AI affected the investment uh industry? Um as far as what what do you mean by AI? Well, so like you have the robo investing that's oh, yeah, kind yeah. of in, affected the industry a little bit. Yeah. So as far as the um, robo investing goes, it's one of those things where, um, you know, robo investing is a great thing for if you're managing a large sum of money. It, it, it's basically only good for investors who don't have enough to take, you know, be brought on by. Okay. So how how much time do you spend with your clients like in person versus over the phone or Skype interviewing with them? Um so basically the it, it really depends on the client. Um some clients I'm in touch with uh I would say every week or so. Um you know, you build a relationship with some people a lot more than others and you know, it also depends on the complexity of their friends. Um, some clients, you know, it, it happen to have you know a lot of portfolio transactions that place in a short period of time. Um, you know, some clients are you know going to situations where they need to invest more money, about where that money go forth. Um, but I mean, it really depends on the client. For to email some clients, for to get uh, phone calls. You know, they were really a client for that. All right. And uh, I think I know the answer. Maybe the user or the listeners don't know the answer. Uh, why did you decide to go out and make your own company versus joining a big company and having that brand name recognition like Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs? I know I have a friend that was in Merrill Lynch, and he was saying that a lot of his work is a, a lot of cold calling. And while you had the brand name, you might not make a lot of money until uh, after a while of working and you have a huge portfolio that you have to do and then you make a lot of money, but you have to give a lot of your money back to the brand itself, Merrill Lynch. That's the biggest thing is profit retention. Um, I would say that the biggest thing is, yeah, profit retention and that if you go on your own and you are, you know, an independent registered advisor, 
get to basically keep all the money or only cost it, whatever overhead and obviously if you have the, the biggest cost is spent. I mean it's small advice aren't really brought up as far as the brand and so forth, but the biggest thing is that we're still regulated as much as, you know, those big companies. I mean, we go through the same audits and so forth. We were just audited a month ago um, for with the regulations and so forth. So in terms of, you know, so forth, we're still scrutinized much. Would you say that you've gotten quite a few clients just because your fee uh, pro- setup is a lot simpler than big firms? Yeah, so, I mean, we don't get any kickbacks. It's, I mean, we're completely fee-only, um, and it's at a standard break point. So from, you know, zero to one million dollars, you pay a certain percent. One to five million, you pay a certain percent. Um, and that publicity is very attractive to a lot of investors. Oh, okay. So how do you define success? Well, look, first, let me ask you, do you set any goals for your business? Like I want to have a portfolio size of this, or I want to have returns of this. So as far as, um, like portfolio sizes go, yeah, I have goals. Um, I would say that I, I used to be more set on goals and setting very, you know, definite goals earlier on. But I found that if I do that, a lot of times I would set myself up for um, failure in certain businesses, it's much easier than others um, because, you know, the biggest of this business is that the sales cycle is a lot of times very long. So it's very, I mean, for an entire year before they stop, but it might only be one or another. So it's very hard to close and one absolutely realize. Um, so you can set yourself up for disappointment if you, you know, have those certain, you know, outliers. Um, and, but when it comes to, like, portfolio growth and so forth, as far as, uh, you know, appreciation of the portfolio, um, I would say I don't have virtually any goals in that because the market does what it does. And we know where the value is investing in. Uh, but, it, I mean, some cases, you know, stock will appreciate very quickly and value will be realized. In other cases, um, it will take, you know, for instance, one investment took over a year for just selling stock, sold off roughly 75 holding, but it took a whole year, whereas another one took only a couple months before we realized considerable gains on it. So it's very hard to tell them it does what it does that way. But in terms of success, I would say that success uh, can be defined in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think you're definitely going to successful change over time. A lot of people, when they start out entrepreneurially, it is purely money. Um, but I think that you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you're going to the world. Um, you're going to get more money. Money isn't a thing, and that you know, success is truly being happy. 
but I would say that probably my job right now is just being happy with what I'm doing. I know that I'm good at it and, you know, and providing the value that the money will come. And, you know, now that's kind of a sideline uh, goal. Okay. Yeah, that's, I would say that's how you would define success too, is happiness. Money isn't everything. I, at work, I always joke around and say, oh, money is money. It it does what it wants. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. An entrepreneur, you set your own hours. You work from where you want to work. And how do you manage that? So it's kind of tricky. Um, back when I was living in California, I, uh, I'm now living in Charleston, but I, when I was living California, my, uh, uh, was considerably smaller, um, so it was very hard to manage, uh, you know, the area as far as, you know, I had the desk, like, right with the living area, but when it came down to it, it's just not healthy to do that, so now I have it split off into an actual, you know, I have an office, then I have the living room, then I have a bedroom, so keeping everything separated really helps me personally, just because, you know, that when you're in the office, you're working. You know, that when you're in the living room, you're, you know, watching TV or whatever you're doing. Um, but I think also, too, it helps to switch up the environment. So a lot of times I'll go to Starbucks. I'll go to, um, you know, wherever that is. Switching up the environment kind of gives me, you know, fresh. Because it you know, kind of stimulates your mind to think differently than, you know, I mean, if you go to, you know, the office every day and, you know, you're, you're going to almost, you know, you're really stimulating change in your mind. Yet, you know, as an entrepreneur, you need different ideas. You need, you know, new ideas to keep developing the business. Do the same thing every day. You're going to get the same results. And, you know, I mean, the big entrepreneurs that I follow, um, it, they truly say that, you know, they go out for a walk and they get, you know, the best ideas that they, you know, would never have gotten. No, they wouldn't have gotten they were sitting up because it's a different, you know, what they usually do and it took them off the beaten path of, you know, their typical mindset. Right. And what are the top three skills you think you need to be a successful entrepreneur in your industry of finance? Okay. So I would say the top three skills, one would be uh, the biggest one that's almost very hard to train yourself. You can, um, but I would say it's having a good ability to relay technical information. Um, so, it, some, I would say it's having a you know very high EQ while having a high IQ. Um, I think that a lot of people either are you know one or the other sort of. A lot of people who have a lot of technical knowledge, especially in, you know, development of, you know, web, website or applications or whatever it is, they aren't able to relay that technical knowledge um, simply and, you know, easily for people to understand if that person in development or so forth. Um, so I would say being able to relay technical information, one, and two is just being personable and you know being able to build relationships because in this business that's I mean unless you can develop relationships you won't get anywhere um, I mean this business is 
probably one of the highest uh, you know, relationship-driven businesses there are. You have to build them very quickly with no prior contact with that person, whether you're cold call or you are, for the first time, have to be, you know, they have to feel warm, they have to feel like, you know, they want to trust you with their retirement. Uh, so uh, that's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, number three, it, to me, whether you're analyzing stock, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, you have to think outside the box. You're looking at, you have to be looking at what other, you know, analysts are reporting on a stock. Or, or, but the biggest thing is own to and think about what they're actually value. Something that probably isn't apparent to a lot of analysts. And, um, and that also transfers over into your business aspect and high box drive your business forward. Right. And I think a lot of those skills that you just said kind of really are important in your industry because you don't have a, you have a very small, or a, not a very small, but you have a smaller firm than normal. And yes. whereas most people have the ability to have the people that are able to analyze it, the sales team, and then the people that take the people out, uh, take the clients out to lunch every day. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So it's like when you wear multiple hats. Yeah. Like you say, you're kind of responsible for everything. Um, and, but I think that that's where the, a lot of the big boom firms lose the, um, uh, you know, the, real value provided just because, you know, they, I don't know, I think there's just a lot more attention to detail when it comes to small firms, but I think that's a lot of people as less risky when really there is no real difference. It's, you know, does the person know what they're doing? Because in the end, if you invest in American Express or with Merrill Lynch, it's still American so it really just bought it at or whether other stock alright well thank you for coming on the show Alex I hope yes not a problem at all I hope you uh, enjoyed this and I hope you want to come back later if I have another subject that is relevant to your field for sure thank you so much alright is there anything you would like to plug I think that would be it. I don't think. All right. Well, his business is Buxton Helmsley. If anyone is interested in investing with Alex, go to his website and take a look around. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope you guys have learned a little bit about entrepreneurship in the finance industry. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Subjects with Sam and let me know how I'm doing, if you like the show or not. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>